Welcome. You are listening to the Audio Information Network of Colorado. This recording is intended to be used solely by individuals with barriers to print. Hello again. Thank you for joining us. This is Bob Mallon with Military News on AudioInformationNetwork.com. First article from Military.com is entitled House Approves Higher Inflation Bonuses as Sweeping Defense Bill Advances. Posted 15 July 2022 by Rebecca Keyhill. The Pentagon would have the ability to give low-paid service members inflation bonuses as high as economic conditions warrant, but no less than 2.4% under the version of the annual defense policy bill approved by the House on Thursday. The House overwhelmingly passed the National Defense Authorization Act, or NDAA, in a bipartisan 329 to 101 vote. The sweeping $840 billion bill touches on everything from what weapon systems the military can buy to the war in Ukraine to extremism in the ranks. The NDAA that was advanced out of the House Armed Services Committee last month included 2.4% bonuses for service members and Defense Department civilians making less than $45,000 in 2023 to help cope with inflation, which the latest Consumer Report Index released this week put at 9.1%. The bonuses would be on top of a 4.6% pay raises next year. Under an amendment that was approved by voice vote during the House debate on the bill this week, defense officials would be allowed to set the bonuses higher than 2.4%, based on prevailing economic conditions that adversely affect members, according to the text of the amendment. The bonus could, in no case, be less than 2.4%. An earlier version of the amendment would have set the the inflation bonus at 6.6% in exchange for missile, make that in exchange for missing funding cuts but it was rewritten before it came to the House floor. The White House this week expressed strong opposition to inflation bonuses for Defense Department civilians, but has not commented on the bonuses for service members. Highly controversial issues were largely sidestepped during the House debate on the NDAA. A Democratic amendment to repeal restrictions on abortions provided or paid for by the Defense Department was not considered, nor were GOP amendments to increase restrictions on abortion access. 
Instead, the House considered non-controversial amendments related to sexual health more generally, including one approved by the voice vote that would direct the Defense Department agency to launch a telehealth pilot program aimed at reducing unintended pregnancies. The House also approved along party lines a pair of amendments aimed at addressing extremism in the ranks, something Democrats and the Biden administration have been focused on in the wake of the January 6, 2021 U.S. Capitol attack, for which a handful of service members and veterans have been arrested. One amendment would require the Pentagon Department of Homeland Security and the FBI to publish a report on white supremacist and neo-Nazi activity in the military and law enforcement, while the other calls on the Defense Department to implement the recommendations of its Countering Extremist Activity Workshop Group. Another amendment, home on January 6th, as well as the racial judges, make that do that again. Another amendment born of January 6th, as well as the racial justice protests in summer 2020, would give the majority of Washington, D.C. control of the district's national defense. Unlike state National Guards that are commanded by governors, the D.C. National Guard is commanded by the President, who has delegated the authority to the Army Secretary. The amendment was approved in a largely party-line vote. The same measure was in last year's initial House version of the NDAA, but was taken out of the version of the bill signed into law. Lawmakers also tacked on several amendments related to the war in Ukraine. Among them, the House approved in a voice vote $100 million to train Ukrainian pilots on U.S. aircraft. An earlier version of the amendment specifically mentioned the A-10 Thunderbolt, F-15 Eagle, and F-16 Fighting Falcon but the version that was approved more generally calls for the pilots to be trained on, quote, United States fixed-wing aircraft and other air platforms as appropriate for air-to-air and air-to-ground combat. Opposition to the NDAA in the House came from 39 progressive Democrats who balked at the $37 billion more in defense spending contained in the bill than the Biden administration requested. An amendment to remove that $37 billion from the bill failed 151 to 277, though most Democrats, including House Armed Services Committee Chairman Adam Smith, Democrat of Washington, supported the move. The bill was also opposed by 69 Republicans who fumed that amendments to roll back the Pentagon's COVID-19 vaccine mandate 
and diversity effects, as well as on issues unrelated to defense, such as border security, weren't considered during floor debate. Similar GOP amendments had already been voted on and rejected by the United Services Committee. The House approval of the NDAA also advances proposals that were already in the bill, including measures to address suicide in Alaska and on ships undergoing major construction, further reform the military justice system by removing sexual harassment prosecutions from the chain of command and create a national space guard. The bill must still be reconciled with the Senate's version of the NDAA before becoming law. The Senate Armed Services Committee advanced a version of the bill last month, and the full Senate is expected to take it up in September. The next article from Military.com Military News Navy leaders reprimanded for fire on the gutted Bonhomme Richard warship. Posted 15 July 2022 by Travis Tritton. The former commanding officer, executive officer, and command master chief of the USS Bonhomme Richard. Was among, the, was among more than two dozen sailors reprimanded for a raging fire that destroyed the ship in its San Diego port in 2020, the Navy announced on Friday. The Navy said it focused punishments on Bonhomme Richard's leadership and its fire response team in the, work, in the wake of the worst warship fire outside of combat in recent history. The ship's three top leaders at the time of the fire were given punitive letters of reprimand, with Captain Gregory Scott Thompson, who was the commanding officer, and Captain Michael Ray, the executive officer, also ordered to forfeit pay. Retired Vice Admiral Richard Brown, who was commander of Naval Surface Forces for the Pacific Fleet at the time, was also censured by Navy Secretary Carlos del Toro. The service said the punishments are not the end of its efforts at accountability for the fire. In a separate case, an enlisted sailor allegedly connected to the start of the blaze faces a trial in September. The Bonhomme Richard was docked for a maintenance period two years ago this month when it caught fire and burned for at least four days, sending plumes of thick smoke into the California sky. A Navy investigation released in October found that the fire on the WASP-class amphibious assault ship was completely preventable. After the fire, the Navy decided to scrap the 22-year-old ship because it would cost $2.5 billion and take five years to repair the extensive damage. When leaders' actions 
or inactions result in the loss of life or capital resources, the senior leadership of the, Dem- of the Department of the Navy has a responsibility to determine the root cause and hold those accountable. Del Toro said in an earlier message to the department that was included in the Navy announcement Friday. The fire could have been prevented with adequate oversight into the ship's material condition and the crew's readiness to combat a fire, the secretary said. In all, the Navy said it had made 27 individual disposition decisions to sailors since its investigation into the warship fire and released last fall. None of the Navy personnel actions announced Friday included judicial punishments. The service doled out six non-judgmental punishments with guilty findings, two non-judicial punishments with matter of interest findings, and a letter of instruction two judicial punishment dismissals with a warning, one additional matter of interest filing, five other letters of instruction, three non-punitive letters of caution, two letters to former sailors documenting substandard performances, and six no-action determinations. Such punishments are less severe than criminal charges under the Uniform Code of Military Justice, but they can also be damaging and even derail military careers. Brown, who retired in August 2020, after 35 years in the Navy, was singled out by Del Toro for his role overseeing the fire response as the commander of Naval Surface Forces. The retired admiral was taken with overseeing the ship's condition, its maintenance period, and the readiness of the crew to fight fires, according to the secretary. You failed to identify and mitigate against the lack of oversight that contributed to the loss of the ship, Del Toro wrote in July 15 letter to Brown. Accordingly, you are hereby censured by failing to effectively ensure appropriate levels of training and readiness in units under your command. Brown pushed back against the criticism on Friday, according to U.S. Navy News. He told the outlet that the Navy had abandoned me for political expedience. Meanwhile, Seaman Apprentice Ryan Sawyer Mays is set to be tried by court-martial in September on charges of arson and hazarding a vessel. The Navy alleges the sailor was responsible for starting the fire on the Bonhomme Richard and charged Mays a year after the ship was destroyed. Mays was depicted as a disgruntled sailor who washed out of the Navy SEAL school training. According to court documents outlining findings by the National Criminal Investigative Service, after dropping out of SEAL training, he became an undesignated seaman on the ship. 
rich is considered a low status and undesirable position, tasked with the hardest labor. Shipmates described him as having the Navy, make that as hating the Navy, according to investigators. The Navy alleged in search warrants that a witness saw a sailor, whom he was 90% sure was Mays, emerge carrying a bucket from the lower V area of the ship, where the fire is believed to have started, minutes before the smoke appeared. But Mays has maintained his innocence. What they're trying to do is make Mays a scapegoat for a billion-dollar ship that ended up burning as a result of other people's negligence, his attorneys told Military.com in March. Another article for Military.com, Airmen Rescue 8 from Circling Bull Shark Off Florida Coast. Posted 15 July 2022, by Joe Mario Peterson. Eight civilians were rescued this summer by patrolling U.S. Air Force personnel after their boat capsized off Florida's Gulf Coast and caught the attention of a nearby bull shark. On the morning of June 12, the 6th Security Force Squadron Marine Patrol Unit decided to go for a routine sweep of the Tampa Bay coast, according to a MacDill Air Force Base release. The decision to go out was actually against protocol due to a small craft advisory warning posted to, to stay within the waters because of increased dangers of wind and waves that were churned up by what became Tropical Storm Alex, a system that passed through the area several days earlier. Despite this, the units decided to patrol anyway and discovered eight people in the water clinging to a capsized pontoon boat and visibly very scared. As airmen tried to rescue the passengers, one airman noticed a circling bull shark that appeared to be 10 to 12 feet in length. The patrol called for backup as the frequency of tidal waves and tall waves made the rescue extremely difficult. A second Marine Patrol unit arrived as well as the Coast Guard and the Hillsborough County Sheriff's Office. Within 15 minutes, the passengers were safely rescued. Another article titled, These New York National Guard Soldiers Deploying to Train Ukrainian Military, posted 17 July 2022 by the Citizen Auburn New York Publication. 140 New York Army National Guard soldiers assigned to the Syracuse-based 27th Infantry Brigade Combat Team deployed Friday on a mission that will take them to Germany to help train Ukrainian military personnel. According to a news release, the soldiers will replace 160 Florida Army National Guard soldiers 
from the 53rd Infantry Brigade Combat Team who are deployed in support of the Joint Multinational Training Group Ukraine Mission. Those troops have been training Ukrainian personnel in the Combat Training Center Yairov near Lviv in northwestern Ukraine since November 2021. They were ordered to leave Ukraine for Germany in February 2022, prior to Russia's invasion. The Florida team is now leading the training of Ukrainian troops in Germany and other locations. The farewell ceremony took place at the Thompson Road Armory on Hancock Field Air National Guard Base north of Syracuse. The New York team will train at Fort Bliss, Texas before deploying to Germany. They are expected to replace the Florida team to support the Joint Multinational Training Group Ukraine mission in September. In 2017, the New York National Guard sent 220 soldiers to Ukraine for a 10-month rotation training Ukrainian soldiers at the Combat Dream Center Yavoriv. The team was headed by 2nd Squadron 101 Cavalry, which is headquartered at Niagara Falls Air Reserve Station, but included soldiers from across New York. They replaced a team from the Oklahoma Army National Guard's 45th Infantry Brigade Combat Team in November 2017. The New York Army National Guard team was replaced by soldiers from the Tennessee Army National Guard 278th Armored Cavalry Regiment in August 2018. The Joint Multinational Training Group Ukraine has been and continues providing training and advisement to Ukraine military force, which started in 2015. Army National Guard Brigade combat teams provide the main support to the Joint Multinational Training Group Ukraine mission in nine-month rotation as part of the Army's rotational model. Other nations that have supported the JMTGU-U mission while it was at Combat Training Center Yavoriv included Canada, Lithuania, Denmark, Poland, Sweden, and the United Kingdom. Now let us progress to the Military.com article entitled National 988 Suicide Hotline to debut January, make that July 16. Veterans and Military, Press 1. That is, the National 988 Suicide Hotline to debut July 16th. Veterans and Military, Press 1. Let's go on to describe that. Beginning Saturday, veterans and military personnel facing a mental health crisis can call 9888 and press 1. 
after years of being told to dial an unmemorable 10-digit number. The Veterans Crisis Line will join the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline through the new 988 Suicide and Crisis Hotline, linking veterans and service members who need help with the same Department of Veterans Affairs support system as before. The goal of the new number, VA officials said on Friday, is to make it easier for veterans, service members, and their families to access mental health support. The VA anticipates that the new three-digit format will lead to increased calls and has hired additional personnel to meet demand, said Dr. Matthew Miller, Executive Director for Suicide Prevention at the VA. Now that 988 implementation is upon us, we are excited and we are ready, Miller said during a media roundtable. Mental health advocates hope 988 will replace emergency calls to 911 for mental health crises. While 911 dispatchers are prepared to send first responders and support callers during an emergency, Veterans Crisis Line staffers are trained counselors who can handle distraught callers, access records, and send help in emergencies, according to the VA. It's one thing to answer the call quickly and to provide quality services within that call, both of which are absolutely essential and, by the way, legally mandated. But what happens after the call is something that uniquely distinguishes us. If a veteran is willing, we will put in a referral to a local suicide prevention coordinator at the local facility, offer direct contact and outreach with a veteran, and then connect them to the right care at the right time and in the right place, Miller said. The 988 initiative was signed into law in 2020 and developed by the Department of Health and Human Services. The Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration and the VA. The original number for the Veterans Crisis Line, 1-800-273-8255, followed by pressing 1, will remain active for an undetermined amount of time while rerouting calls through the new 988 system. While the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline will have a test component, make that a text component, with the same number, 988, Miller said that the Reach the Veterans Crisis Line, veterans and military personnel should continue texting 838255 to directly connect with counselors trained to help them. Since its inception in 2007, the Veterans Crisis Line has fielded 2.6 million calls, made 
correction, 1.1 million referrals to VA Health Service and sent responders to 233,000 life-threatening emergencies. The line averages 2,000 calls a day, and the VA expects that to increase by between 5 and 13 percent, immediately following the launch of the new 988 number, with demand growing from 40 to 60 percent in the coming years. Miller said the increase is expected because 988 is an easier number to remember, especially during an emergency. And the initiative represents a consolidation of a number of mental health resources and phone numbers under one umbrella, which is likely to make Veterans Crisis Line more accessible to all veterans. While the rollout Saturday marks the launch of the 988 symptom system, some areas of the country are still building out their capacity to support calls. The changeover requires state and federal funding and, while states have been given the option to pass legislation to add a fee to cell phone bills to cover the costs, just four have done so. But the state discrepancy should not affect access or operation to the Veterans Crisis Line, Miller said. It's difficult to measure the possible impact, but I can tell you historically, the Veterans Crisis Line has contracted individuals who aren't veterans, who aren't calling on behalf of veterans, but who are saying, we know you're there, we know you will answer, Miller said. We believe that although it may not be our primary mission, any service to an individual in crisis and any life saved is an important contribution, and we're happy to do that for our country and fellow Americans. Next we come across experts to comb site of plane crash in northern Greece. Posted 1719-2022 by Associated Press, Constance Kanteoris, Demetrius Nellis, and Johanna Geck. The uh, dateline is Palia Okoroi, Greece. Experts posted the investigation, the site of a plane crash in northern Greece Sunday, to determine whether any dangerous chemicals or explosive cargo remains. An AN-12 cargo plane smashed into fields between two villages late Saturday. Local residents reported seeing a fireball and hearing explosions for two hours after the crash. A plume of white smoke was still rising from the front end of the plane on Sunday morning. Serbian Defense Minister Nebojasa Stefanovic told a news conference Sunday that all eight crew members were killed. He said the plane was carrying 11.5 tons of Serbian-made mortar ammunition to Bangladesh 
which was the buyer. It had taken off from Serbian city of Nice and had been due to make a stopover in Amman, Jordan. The plane was operated by Ukrainian cargo carrier Meridian and the Ukrainian Council in Thessalonica, who has arrived at the crash site, told local officials that the crew were all Ukrainian. These were, uh, there were, correction, these were illuminating mortar mines and training mines. The flight had all necessary permissions in accordance with international regulations, Stefanovic said. The plane crashed shortly before 11 p.m., about 25 miles west of Kavala International Airport. Minutes before, the pilot of the plane had told air traffic controllers that there was a problem with one of the engines and that he had to make an emergency landing. He was directed to Kavala Airport, but never made it that far. The plane is a Soviet-era four-engine turboprop cargo carrier. Drone footage shows that small fragments are all that is left from the plane. Firefighters who rushed to the scene in the night were prevented from reaching the crash by the smoke and an intense smell which they feared might be toxic. Nearby residents were told to keep their windows shut all night, not to leave their homes, and to wear masks. Authorities said they did not know if there were dangerous chemicals on the plane, including those contained in batteries. A special army unit that looks for nuclear, biological, and chemical substances will comb the site, but is not expected to arrive before 1 p.m. The fire service has cordoned off the area at a radius of about 400 meters. The mayor, of the, municip- the mayor of the municipality of Pagayo, to which the two villages close to the crash belong, has banned vehicle movement on nearby roads. This next article is entitled, White House, Russian Officials Visited Iran to View Drones. Posted 16 July 2020 by Amir Mashani and John Gambrel. Date mark Jeddah, South Arabia. Make that Jeddah, Saudi Arabia. The White House says Russian officials have visited an airfield in central Iran at least twice in recent weeks to view weapons capable drones as it is looking to acquire for use in its ongoing war in Ukraine. The administration released the intelligence as President Joe Biden was to meet Saturday with the leaders of six Arab Gulf countries, plus Egypt, Jordan, and Iraq for a regional summit. Biden is expected to lay out a major statement explaining his vision for the Middle East as he closes the final leg of a four-day trip meant to bolster U.S. positioning and knit the region together against Iran. 
Iran showcased the drones for Russian officials at Kashan Airfield on June 8th and July 15, according to the White House. The administration also released satellite imagery of Shaded 191 and Shaded 129 drones capable of being displayed and in flight on the airfield while Russian while a Russian delegation transport plane was on the ground. White House National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan in a statement said the administration has information that the Iranian government is preparing to provide Russia with several hundred UAVs. UAVs are unmanned aerial vehicles or drones. We assess an official Russian delegation recently received a showcase of Iran attack-capable UAVs. We are releasing these images captured in June showing Iranian UAVs that the Russian government delegation saw that day, Sullivan said. This suggests ongoing Russian interest in acquiring Iranian attack-capable UAVs. Sullivan said U.S. officials believe the June visit was the first time a Russian delegation has visited this airfield for such a showcase. Iran's mission to the United Nations did not immediately respond to a request for comment early Saturday regarding the White House's assertion. On Friday, Iran's Forest Minister Hussein Aramodelahayan, in a phone conversation with his Ukrainian counterpart, Dmitry Kuleba, rejected reports on exploring and exporting Iranian drones to Russia, calling them baseless. The sort of claims parallel with Biden's visit to occupied Palestine or Israel are in direction of political intentions and purposes. The website of Iran's foreign minister quoted Amiria Dolahalayan as saying, we oppose any move that could lead to continuation and intensifying of conflicts. Biden is looking to strengthen coordination among Middle East allies response to the Russian invasion of Ukraine and what the ongoing conflict means to the region. Many of the Gulf nations, Saudi Arabia in particular, have grave concerns about Iran's magic and and malignant activity in the region. None of the countries represented at the summit have moved in lockstep with the U.S., to sanction Russia, a key foreign policy priority for the Biden administration. If anything, the United Arab Emirates has emerged as a sort of financial heaven for Russian billionaires and their multi-million dollar yachts. Egypt remains open to Russian tourists. 
Kashan Air Base located some 190 kilometers, that's, eight, that's 120 miles, south of Tehran as one of Iraq's oldest airfields. Israeli Defense Minister Benny Gantz in 2021 linked Kashan to Iran's drone program, alleging that Iran trained militants from Iraq, Lebanon, Syria, and Yemen to fly drones at the facility. The U.S. intelligence assessment was first reported by CNN. Next, we come to an article entitled Ukrainian Rescue Team's Hunt for Survivors in Vini Yatsia. Posted 15 July 2020 by Hannah Antheovra. Vinitsia, Ukraine. Russian teams with sniffer dogs combed through debris in central Ukrainian city on Friday looking for people still missing after a Russian missile strike a day earlier that killed 23 people. Russian forces, meanwhile, pounded other sites in a painstaking push to wrest territory from Ukraine and try to soften unbending morale of Ukrainian leaders, civilian and troops, as the war reaches its fifth month, were still defiant. The cruise missile strike on Vinyatsia, launched by a Russian submarine on Thursday, was the latest incident to take civilian lives and fan international outrage since President Vladimir Putin launched the invasion on February 24. The campaign now has been focusing on Ukraine's eastern Donbass region, but Russian forces regularly fire upon targets in many parts of the country also. Ukraine's interior minister claimed Friday that Russian forces had conducted more than 17,000 strikes on civilian targets during the war, driving millions from their homes, killing thousands of fighters and civilians, and ripping through the world economy by hiking prices and crimping exports of key Iranian and Russian products like foodstuffs, fuel, and fertilizer. More than 73 people, including four children, remain hospitalized, and 18 people were missing after Thursday's missile strike, said Oleksandr Kutonyavi, spokesman for the emergency services in Vinyatsu region. Search teams were pouring over two sites on Friday, an office building with a medical center inside, and a concert hall near an outdoor recreation area and park where mothers and children often stroll. Venezia Governor Serhia Borzov said, only 10 people among the nearly two dozen killed have been identified so far. Russia deliberately hit civilians and all those responsible for the crime must be brought to account, he said, denouncing the barbaric behavior of Russia 
that tramples on international humanitarian law. Guerrillo Tymoshenko, a deputy head of the president's office, said three missiles were used. There is no answer to the question why yesterday and why Vinitsya, Tomashenko said. We expect every second and minute that this could happen in any corner of Ukraine. After initial silence after the strikes on Vinitsya, the Russian military said Friday its forces had struck an officers' club which the concert hall had been known to back in Soviet times. Ukrainian authorities insisted the site had nothing to do with the military. Overall, Ukrainian's presidential office said 26 civilians have been killed and another 190 were wounded by Russian shelling over the past 24 hours. That includes three other victims in the Donsuk region, which, along with neighboring Lahanyak, nearly totally controlled by Russian forces, makes up the broader Donbras region. The situation in the Donketsk region is exacerbating every day, and civilians must leave because the Russian army is using scorched-earth tactics. Ghanitsk Governor Pavlo Kerunlenko said it appeared that the cities of Kramatsovsk and Slovyanik were next in line for Russian forces, but it wasn't all that clear how soon such a push would occur in earnest. Elsewhere, authorities in Mykolaivsk said there were at least 10 explosions in the southern city overnight, accusing Russian fire of hitting universities. Vitaly Kim, the head of Mykolaiv's military administration, posted on social media a, a video of smoke rising over the strikes. Separately, the Russian news agency TASS reported Friday, citing Russian-backed separatists, that two civilians were killed and six others were injured after Ukrainian forces allegedly shelled a bus terminal in the Vodoshilovsky district of the city of Donetsk. Also Friday, Daria Morozovnyevna, the human rights ombudsman for the Moscow-backed separatist leadership in Donetsk, said a British mercenary died in captivity on Sunday. She said the man, whom she identified as Paul Ure, had died of chronic illness and stress. From our side, he was given the necessary medical assistance despite the grave crimes he committed, she said. Another article, Extreme Heat Killed Paris Island Recruit During Crucible Training, Mom Says. Posted 14 July 2022 by Anthony G. Atriano. 19-year-old United States Marine recruit from New Jersey 
died from extreme heat on the last day of a vigorous training, and the military says in a reported shared with his family that the death was avoidable. Private First Class Dalton Beals, 19, of Pensaville in Salem County, died June 4, 2021, on Paris Island, South Carolina, while completing the Crucible, a grueling 54-hour test combining physical, mental, and moral training. A heavily redacted report prepared by the Marines and given to Beale's mother states her son died of hypothermia, an extreme body temperature, and that he left his platoon alone and was unaccounted for for more than an hour. The report also recommends that punitive or administrative action be taken against three Marines in charge of training that day. Philip Kolkazowski, a spokesman for the Marines on Paris Island, said in an email that Recruit Training Regiment had requested legal services in the case of Beale's death. It would be appropriate at this time to speculate about the details of the case pending litigation, Kolsovsky said. My son's temperature was 170 degrees. He fell down and never made it back to his platoon, Stacy Beals, 53, told New Jersey Advanced Media on Thursday. The report states that Beals' experiment, signs of heat injury, make that the report states that Beals experienced signs of heat injury and left the 15-member platoon. He was found dead in the woods more than an hour later, apparently searching for sprinklers designated to crew off recruits. I'm sure with the heat and with his symptoms, he was delirious, she said. All he needed was some fluid. All he needed was an IV. That's a simple fix. He should have been cooled off. He shouldn't have been able to get to that point at all. According to the report, those in charge ordered Beale's platoon to undergo unauthorized incentive training during the grueling test. Fellow recruits told investigators Beale struggled with training on the day he died and that weather conditions were hot, according to the report Stacy Beals received. The report also says recruits were not able to report problems like excessive heat to their drill instructor who did not have the maturity, temperament, and leadership skills necessary to be an effective senior drill instructor, they said. The investigation also revealed that the company commander failed to properly address concerns raised by others regarding the senior drill instructors, perceived an indifferent attitude toward recruits, the report said. The investigators have recommended action be taken against the senior drill instructor, the company commander, 
and the series commander involved with Beale's group. Additionally, the investigator recommends charges to existing policies, standard operating procedures, and orders, the report states. That, of course, is changes to these policies. The investigator said a survey of Beale's fellow recruits showed that most, if not all, had difficulty raising issues with the senior drill instructor who himself had difficulty transitioning into his role. The senior instructor, whose name is redacted, told recruits to go away when other recruits requested medical attention. The report states, I will never bring any problems to my senior drill instructor for the mere fact that he doesn't care at all, one recruit wrote in the survey. Another Marine wrote, many recruits scared to go to the SDI for medical and other problems because they don't want to get dropped or become a target. Senior drill instructor doesn't like being bothered and curses us out for messing with his time, another recruit wrote. In speaking with Beale's fellow recruits, Stacy Beale says she learned her son was a leader, someone who would push others along during the most intensive training of their lives. When we went down there, it was told to us from many of the other recruits that my son was one of the strongest in the group, she said. But on the day of his death, Stacy Beals said another recruit had asked her son for help, but Beals was too exhausted. He was staggering. He was falling down. He was hunched over. He was having problems breathing. He said, dude, I can't even see, she said. After her son's death, Stacy Beals said she flew to South Carolina for his graduation. We still went. I wanted to meet his platoon members and see when he had been, where he had been and try to get some more answers. Today, Stacy Beals says she's hopeful military prosecutors will charge one or all three of military supervisors with crimes of negligent homicide. My son passed over a year ago, she said this. This has been months and waiting and months as far as just trying to find out what changes they would file and what charges they would make. At more than six feet tall and 225 pounds, Stacy Beale said her son was a strapping teenager who could have played professional sports. My son wrestled and played football. He could have played college football and was my hope. Everything would have been different. Thank you for relying on us to provide the journalism you can trust. Please consider supporting NJCOM with a subscription. Well, that's about all the time we have for this issue of Military News from Audio Information Network of Colorado. Then has been Bob Mallon apologizing to you and thanking you for going along with some of my difficult Russian and Ukrainian pronunciation of names. We'll see you again next time.
Be good. If you enjoyed this program, please register for our free services at www.aincolorado.org or by calling 303-786-7777.